The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. All right, Russ, hit me with it. What's the worst loan that you've ever taken out in your life? The worst loan? I, there's probably several. The one that comes to my mind right now is when I was in college. I don't know if you know this about me, Joey. I was a little bit of a spender. <laughs> Impulsive spender. I'm shocked. Like usually people are so different whenever they get older. <laughs> Very impulsive in my purchasing. And we were preparing for a Super Bowl party at our house. And we decided, hey, look, if we're going to have a bunch of people over. We need to have a big screen TV. I mean, it's like a must have. You got to have it, right? Yeah. And so I went to the Sears with my roommates and I was like, look, none of us have the money to pay for this. Thing. <laughs> let's, let's just, let's just be honest. Let's put this thing on credit. Let's just, let's do, no, I had no credit. <laughs> I, I didn't, it's not that I had bad credit. I had no credit. So you're the idea guy even then. Yeah. And Sears didn't give you the no credit, bad credit, you know, no problem concept. No, they, they give you nothing. All right. Mm. So I, I wanted to buy it. But I couldn't. And so my roommate, who did have some level of credit, said, well, look, I don't really want this thing. But I'll go along. If if you'll pay for it, I'll put it under my name because I do have credit. I was like, sounds like a deal. Let's do this thing. <laughs> so he got a Sears credit card under his name. We bought a 32-inch, 750-pound TV. Monster. This thing was a monstrosity. It probably didn't weigh 750, but it was big. And 32 inches, by the way, now just seems like, <laughs> why'd you get such a small TV? It wasn't one of the like big box ones, was it? Yeah. No, it was the big, like, like the projector. No, I mean, it not like projector. A, you know what I mean? I mean, you couldn't put your arms around it. Like you couldn't get your arms around half of it. That's how big it was. Wow. Okay. I'm with you. But it was still 32 inches. I mean, it's still silly to even think about <laughs> that. That was a big screen TV back in the day. It's $800. It's like my computer screen right now. <laughs> exactly. $800. All right. So this. <laughs> We get this thing, and of course, you know, this is January. The end of January is when Super Bowl is, right? And it's funny because we got the Super Bowl coming up, and it makes me think about that. So the TV comes, we get it, and the bill would come in the mail every month. Well, we're living together. We live together through the end of May, and I get, you know, I, he just hand me the bill, and I make the payments on it. Of course, I'm not paying a lot on it. The <laughs> minimum payment on this thing is like 15 bucks. So. <laughs> I throw it down like $35, $50. Right? Man, that's good on you. Now, we we move away from each other. Like, I go exit to Cape Cod for the summer. I forget where he graduated and went off to maybe Florida to do his accounting job, whatever. And all I had was like some old statements that he gave me. And so I would like go, I was in Cape Cod. I can remember driving and trying to find like a Sears store, like a home store. You know, they didn't even have it one that like was in the mall the way I'd went to. And I'd go in with the statement and I'd say, I'd like to make a payment on this. And I'd give them $50 or whatever. And I can remember I did that for three or four months. And I'm like, hey, can you tell me how much I owe on that? And they're like, um, I need your social security number. Well, of course, they didn't need mine. 
They needed my roommate's social security number. Of course. And back in those days, there was no cell phones, man. Yeah. Like, I didn't know how to get in touch with him at the time. I was like, I don't know. They're like, we can't give it to you. I pay this thing for at least a year and a half, like $35, $50 payments. And I'm adding this up. I feel like, man, I am very close to the end of this bill. And I don't want to overpay, right? Well, sure. Yeah. Who wants to do that? So finally, I get in touch with this guy. I'm like, hey, look, I need you to like tell me, like go call Sears and figure out how much I owe on this on this thing so that I can be done. I don't want to overpay. And he's like, okay. And he calls me back. He's like, you owe $732. What? <laughs> I've been paying on this thing, making payments every month for like 18 months. <laughs> literally, You're like, almost there. I paid down like 72 bucks or something. I mean, it was nothing. And I like get the fine print. It was like 26% interest. I mean, it was, it was literally almost every stinking payment I was making was just covering the interest. So, so how did the end? I mean, and well, finally, I just went and like got a real job, and I paid that thing off for like two months or something. I don't remember, but oh. I, I just remember having paid that thing for so stinky long, and thought, "Man, I am done. I'm over. Like, I, I don't want to make an extra payment here on this thing." You know, you're just getting started. Just getting started. Well, that is not what today's podcast is all about, and I know you don't know this because you weren't a part of our inner circle roundtable discussion. But today we're talking about loans versus withdrawals within your infinite banking system. And we're going to talk about things like bad loans, like how a loan can go bad yeah. in your policy. Uh, what's the difference between loans and withdrawals against a policy? Um, you know, how can we utilize the benefits of a loan from a policy versus a conventional loan? These, these are all questions we uncover I'm sad you weren't be able to be a part of it. Yeah, I'm excited to actually listen to it, man. Yes, yes. But if you've thought about these things, if you've had questions about loans, I mean, maybe you've had in your back of your mind a story like Russ, and you are, do not want anything to do with another loan because it went bad on you, you need to tune in. Let's belly up. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the IBC Roundtable, where every week we cover your favorite subject, the infinite banking concept. And I'm joined around this virtual roundtable with some of my favorite guys in the world, the coaches of Wealth Without Wall Street. Uh, this is Joey the Italian Stallion Mure, and I've got with me downtown Ernie Brown. Ernie, what's really going on, man? Oh, man, four years. I still don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> Well, man, I'm I'm not the virtual part of this this conversation, so it's good to be with you in person. That's right. That's right. We've got across the table, if you will, um, your financial co-pilot, the Gooch, Mark Haraguchi. So glad to have you, brother. How are you? Good to be here, gentlemen. Good afternoon. While Russ was on the slopes today, I was on the slopes yesterday. So good oh. time. You're just going to go ahead and rub my face in it a little bit more, huh? 
Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to have you. And not to uh, be forgotten, we have J.D. Hill, Mr. Incredible, the Million Dollar Smile with us today. J.D., glad to have you, brother. I, I'm, I'm glad to be here, although, I, candidly speaking, um, Russ does a much better job of introductions. Uh, because <laughs> immediate that just feedback. Felt immediate <laughs> feedback here. Um, I, need it. I do not feel any more like Mr. Incredible. Russ, make, Russ really gasses me up. I got to be honest. Like, he makes me feel like a million bucks. I, I, Dude. And, I, and you've made me feel like $1. That's okay. This pain this pains me, but I'm I'm grateful for the feedback. For the record, I like your introduction of me better than Russ's. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. I got so I'm I'm one in one. Mark, I'm not gonna ask you because I don't want to lose. Uh, but today we're not talking about introductions. We are talking about how to look at your life insurance policy from two different perspectives. Should I be considering taking withdrawals from the cash value, or should I be considering taking loans against that cash value in my um, prospect or my, my process to financial freedom. And there's a lot of different aspects that we need to cover in today's conversation. And the first thing I would say is, why do you think this is even an important conversation? And Mark, you were, when we were kind of preparing for this, I feel like you, you led that conversation well. Why is this important? Well, I... I, I believe one of the questions that, that comes up when, 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 I, when I hear these from, from you know, people calling in, we're, we're going through our process and, and they want to know about, well, you know, Nelson Nash mentioned in, in this part of his book of, of taking a withdrawal or, you know, should, should I take a withdrawal or take a loan? And I, I think the real issue is, well, why are you concerned about, about taking a loan per se, or, or why would you want to do a withdrawal? And I, I think what comes out consistently after we kind of, you know, we talk about it and we unpack it a bit more is this fear in, in, in my estimate with the, the individuals I've spoken with of repaying a loan, right? There's this fear of, oh my goodness, well, I've, I've, I've got this premium payment and well, if I take out a loan, now I've got to pay my premium and a loan and oh my goodness, wouldn't it just be easier if I just, just withdrew? And maybe, maybe that's the case there. Uh, I think one of the great things about IBC is I don't believe there's truly a definitive right or a wrong. And we're going to dive deeper into this a little bit later, but let's figure out what's happening in your world. And, and let's talk about how that's impacting your decisions. And let's give you some options and work through the pros and cons of each of them. This is, I think, something that we need to point to is the infinite banking um, concept really involves a whole life insurance policy. And to be honest, I don't think the, the idea even enters people's minds about this, because if you look at everything else that they've always done with money, they didn't have these two options. It was just one or the other, right? So it, it's, we shouldn't be surprised that this comes up so often, but I think today's, um, content can give you more framework so you can make those decisions and be educated. That's the whole concept that we're talking about today. And I would add this where the rubber meets the road to this is when you request a loan against your policy or a withdrawal. And if you're using a, a form to request that, it's not like it's a difficult thing. It's, it's right there on the form. Do you want a loan or do you want a withdrawal? And we might be thinking well, but get to the form and start filling this out. And it could be easy to think, well, 
loan. Ooh, I'm, I'm not so, so sure I want to sign this piece of paper for a loan and, and look at the withdrawal. I'm, I'm really comfortable doing that. And so I think we might be thinking well, but when the rubber meets the road, when we're practically doing that, we see this uh, occasionally come across through our office when we have clients taking their first loan requests and we know they're thinking, well, cause they just got started. And then the forms come in for us to check to send up to the, for the first time. And we'll see those marked with withdrawals from time to time. And I think that's, you know, what, what's going on. We need to have another conversation and we've got all the right thinking, but just afraid to check the box. JD, what would you add to that? Like, why, is, why do you think this is an important um, aspect? Well, I, I, I think, um, our, our experiences shape our beliefs, right? So, um, from a, from a, just a a psychological perspective, right? I've, I have an experience doing something and and through that experience that now shapes this belief in my life on how I view that experience. And now going forward, my behavior is in direct response to that belief based on that experience. Right. Totally. And, And so, and so from a, from a, where we get the majority of what we know, what we learn is, is learned from our parents, right? And, and the people yep. closest to us. And, and so if, when you think about it from that perspective, if you've never had any experience or exposure to something like this, right? Like infinite banking, then your natural tendency is to look at loan is bad, right? Withdrawal yep. is good because that, that is what I know is I know that I take a withdrawal, whether I know that's what it's called or not. I understand the function of it, right? Is that my normal process of banking is that I take a withdrawal, I put money back in, I take a withdrawal, I put money back in. But when I think loan, I think, holy cow, now I have to repay this, right? And I can't tell you how many times in the course of my engagements with people constantly is, all right, if I go take this loan, what are, what are the repayment terms? <laughs> and you know what I mean? And, and cause, cause again, it's, it's based on our experience and, and to share with people, there are no repayment terms. And, yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into a lot of that today in the course of our show, but I just, that, that, that I think just to answer your question directly is it's a lot of it is, is um, just again, our, our experience, right. Shapes our beliefs around how we look at everything, including money. hundred percent. Now let me frame this also that when we're talking about withdrawals versus loans that can come at various different points in the process of infinite banking, it could come early when you're in that that point where you're trying to build passive income through purchasing assets or paying off debts, or it could come later on in the terms of when you, when Nelson would say you hit passive income age (laughs) or that time where you want to just start receiving some of the fruits of your labor from this policy, there's going to be, so we can just for today's purpose, let's, when we're, when we're mentioning this, let's make sure we're putting it in those two contexts at least Mm -hmm. so people can follow along. But let me just go around the horn here. When would you do a withdrawal over a loan? Like, give me an example of a time when you would consider doing a withdrawal and not a loan against your policy. Ernie, why don't you start off? Okay. Well, you kind of gave one of the one of the main ones is when we're taking income. Uh, but really, just higher level. It would take a withdrawal anytime we are accessing cash out of the policy and we don't see reasonably in the future that we're going to be able to replenish that or for what we're using it for, isn't going to create a cash flow that's freed up or created that's going to go back into the policy. Okay. So it's kind of like at this tail end of, of something, not necessarily at the front end of creation of, of income. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that there's 
never a scenario when we're younger in life and, and there's not going to be something where we know that we're going to access cash and never put it back. I'm not going to say that that's not going to happen, but most likely if we're thinking as, as producers, as creators, yep. and, and just using our imagination, what cash flows am I going to have in the future? You know, most likely we're going to find cash in the future to, to bring back. Gotcha. Mark, how about you? I would think of a, a withdrawal uh, in terms of a, if, if, if I'm punching a one-way ticket, um, I know I have absolutely zero interest in, in putting that money back or I've reached that, I've, I've rounded that corner where I go, you know what, um, it's passive income time. I am liquidating assets and I am just taking what's mine and knowing that pushing that, that, that policy, you know, I, I guess, yeah, it's, it's a one-way ticket because I've, I've already done the run-up. I've already done the run-up. I've built it. Now it's time, like you said, I'm going to reap the harvest. And I don't really care about putting it back because I've punched a one-way ticket. Well, you, you have to leave it to the pilot to, uh, to bring up that analogy, right? Of course, he's going to say that. But just so I'm clear, you're talking much later in life in this, in this context. Correct. Um, my... My vision of, of, of how I see using my policies does not involve taking a withdrawal at this point. Um, but right. like Ernie said, circumstances can change. And, and isn't that one of the great things about the infinite banking concept is, wow, now I have a choice. I have options available to me that maybe the average individual doesn't. They're, they're already painted into a corner. They only have one way out. Yeah. Great point. JD, what about you? When would you take a withdrawal over a loan? Um, I mean, there, there aren't very many scenarios, I, I think, where uh, taking a, a withdrawal makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, what I would say are, are going to be in alignment with what's already been communicated here is, um, is if I don't foresee my desire, if you will, to want to repay and put that money back. Right. So, um, which, which I think is interesting because that can come from a place of, I, I, I don't know if my cash flow is going to get to a place where I can put it back or it can just come from a place of, I just don't have any desire, right? I, in me, I just don't want to put it back. Like, I don't want to have to deal with it. I just want to make it simple, simplify my life, take a withdrawal and be done. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. again, back to, to Mark's point, like that, that's, that's the beauty of, of IBC is like, I can make that choice under, under rather under ordinary circumstances, I don't have a choice. I just, at the bank, I just got to take a withdrawal. Um, presumably, you know, it's, it's small enough denominations and the bank will let you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then in addition, you know, passive income time as well, right. How do we, now we're at a place where how do we get the most amount of income out of this policy? Right. And, and this is where we're going to start pulling on both of those particular levers. Yeah. Well, and, and so it seems like around the horn is pretty not, or Unanimous. I was going to say anonymous. That's not the <laughs> no, word. It, <laughs> unanimous. Um, and it makes sense from Nelson's book. He's constantly talking about the use of loans. So let's break down loans. Let's break into that subject. How does a life insurance loan differ from that of like a conventional loan in your mind? Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you when you hear that, Ernie? For me, it's ownership. Okay. What do you mean? With a life insurance provision to, to take policy loans, even though the cash is coming from the insurance company, not out of your policy, but from the insurance company, you are the owner of the loan. Whereas a conventional loan, if you're a borrower, 
you're not setting the terms. You're, you're out of control, out of ownership of what's required. Okay. So ownership in the sense of what's required of you from that point forward. That's right. And, and really to boil it down, ownership in terms of control. Okay. Perfect. Mark. I actually just thought of this as, as Ernie was talking because um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking into, into getting some additional rentals. And in order to do that, I need to go and apply. I, I, I'm going to take a policy loan. I'm going to make my down payment, but I'm going to go apply and maybe get a, a regular mortgage to, to finance the rest of that property. Well, in order to do that, I've got to find a lender. And then after talking to that lender, I got to go deal with the underwriter and I have to go through all that rigmarole and deal with all them. But really, if I do it all through a policy loan, I set the terms. <laughs> I'm not only the loan officer, I'm the underwriter, I'm the chief executive officer. And you know what? I've got a great working relationship with my personal bank. Uh, <laughs> I like me and I think my investment's a great idea. <laughs> so I'm going to set the terms. That's what I like. I love it. JD, what would you add to that as far as um, how these loans differ from a conventional loan, life insurance loan? Um, for, for me, it's, it's control, right? Which, which, which candidly, and, and that's a lot of, of what we talk about and, and teach and communicate and coach people around is this idea of like, how do I regain control over my finances? And I think to have the ability to choose, right, if and when I want to make a repayment, but, but to take it a step further, how that payment is actually allocated, right? And, and not that I would necessarily choose, you know, one option over another in terms of, so, so I can choose a principal only payment if I want, right? At the end of the year, I can make an interest only payment if I want, or I can, you know, throughout the year, call up the insurance company and say, hey, I want to apply this much towards interest and this much towards principal, right? Like I can choose where that payment gets to be allocated towards that loan. And so being in a position of control, um, I think is, is such a powerful place to be and how I want to, to, to dictate the repayments um, of that loan. Oh, I love that. I mean, I can think back to the mortgage days and, you know, the, the idea that you can figure out which way you want to allocate your repayment is absurd. Like the, the bank would be like, <laughs> that's so funny that you want to do that. Like, no, we do. We, we tell you that. Um, and, and I remember like when you're sitting at the closing table, going through the mortgage documents, it specifies how interest will be accrued, how payments and additional principal payments. Like if you, if you write, write a check for your mortgage and you don't specify that you're, this is additional principal reduction, they immediately apply it to interest first. They don't even ask any questions. They just dictate to you. And then any leftover would be applied to your principal for that, that occasion. Okay. I've heard enough about infinite banking. I'm pretty sure it's a fit for me and my family, Russ. How do I get started? Let's take that pretty sure and make it darn sure. The reason you do that is that you get clarity, Joe. You need to get on a 15-minute call with one of our coaches at westwellwallstreet.com forward slash free call. Then you'll know where you're starting from and where you're headed. And only then can you implement the infinite banking process. All right. So go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash free call to get that 15 minute conversation, gain clarity. But now let's jump back into today's episode. But I, I want to talk about from a personal standpoint, my experience of a life insurance loan over a conventional loan is very personal because when I left the mortgage business, kind of staying in that same vein, 
you know, I had a substantial income that went away overnight. And for me to be able to access large amounts of cash through these policies to maintain lifestyle, knowing that I could dictate the terms and, and th therefore not have the, the pressure of repaying a loan immediately, it gave me the total freedom to leave a career and to start from scratch in this career. Like, I don't know about you guys, but that is powerful. Um, it was a, it was a career change, a life change that I did not feel any pressure to do because of the fact that I could control that, that loan. Um, so anyways, I feel like we're all kind of on the same page with control. It's some, sometimes some different aspects were brought up. What about the standpoint of withdrawals? Okay. Let's kind of go back to that subject for a second. When would you see a withdrawal being a bad thing or going bad for a bar or for a, a, a life insurance <laughs> owner, if you will? Yeah. When Policy you, owner. when, when you asked me that, I think of taking withdrawal from a bank account. That nobody would ever say taking withdrawal withdrawal from the bank account can go bad. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know? true. So that that's kind of interesting. But when we're looking at access and cash values from the insurance policy, when can a withdrawal go bad? I think of of being somebody who's younger, like like me, or somebody who who has got a lot of a lot of uh, good good working years left, and. And getting 15, 20 years down the road after taking that withdrawal and having additional cash flows, income goes up, expenses go down, inheritance comes in, any of those things and, and wanting to have a place to put that. But because I took a withdrawal 15 years back, well, I don't have space for it. So they've, they've essentially cut off their ability to, to add to their policy at that point. Yes. Like they've, they've essentially hindered it mm -hmm. by doing it. Okay. I follow you. They, they've, they've hindered that ability, but they've also hindered the growth because you take the withdrawal, that money is no longer compounding in the policy. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, Mark, and, and what about you? Just out of curiosity, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm just curious, making the statement young like me, are you saying that Joey and Mark are old? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, nope. I, I, I did not give it. this a compared to, to anyone. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> just, just young like me, which I'll be saying for the next 40 years. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, Indiana, you're not searching for relics like Joey and I. Okay. We are not relics. To be <laughs> Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Mark, what, what's your take on it? How do, how do withdrawals go bad for somebody? One of the ideas that, that, that I was, was kind of kicking around on this one was when we do a withdrawal, just like Ernie said, you are pulling back and out of that policy. And a withdrawal is a return of previously paid premium. And that premium purchased death benefit. So when you take a withdrawal, that's got to come out somewhere. So they are going to reduce your death benefit by whatever that factor is based on the amount of money you pull out. So where that could go bad for you is if you're taking a withdrawal and we haven't really thought about, you know, potential scenarios, well, what if you needed that death benefit coverage, right? What if you needed that coverage for your family, your loved ones, your beneficiary, and you took this withdrawal and now heaven forbid something happens, we've lost out on some of that death benefit coverage. So if that was part of your overall plan, we want to make sure we talk about that so that we don't get stuck in that 
you know, uncomfortable spot where let's face it, we're all going to graduate to the next level at some point. Um, we just want to make sure that when we do, we've left behind and taken care of those that, that need to be covered. Good point. That's great. JD, what would you add? Well, when you're young like me, Joey, uh, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Ernie. Uh, had to. Yeah, I had to go there. I don't feel I, guilty, by the way. <laughs> and you shouldn't. You should not because they are old. I mean, let's just call it what it is. I think withdrawals can go bad when, when you're making presumptive permanent decisions about the future. Right. right there's a lot of if, words if, there. If, if, you have to break that down. They're, they're, all right. Perfect. So I'm like a Presbyterian minister. <laughs> so, so oftentimes we can, we can be in a situation of life or a season in life where it, it can it either can be overwhelming or it can just feel like there's just a lot of moving pieces. And we tend to make decisions right in that moment that have long-term implications. True. Lose a job, coronavirus, right? Get sick, like all those types of dynamics. And, and so we can, we can look at something in that moment and realize like, I don't know if I'm ever going to repay this. So I'm just going to make it as a, as a withdrawal. Right. But, but then life changes like it always does. Cause the way life looks today is not how it's going to look next year or five years from now or 10 years from now. And so I think, I think withdrawals can, can go bad from the perspective is that if we make a decision today, right. That's permanent. Cause we can't go back and, and, and try to put it back in once we've made the decision to withdraw it right? Thinking into the future that it's not going to change. And then the future does in fact change. And now we have more cash flow, our situation changes and we want to be able to put it back, but we can't. Like trying to put toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube, right? That's yes. There's no, that's right. it's, it's, there's no going back. It's, you, you it's done. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm sure that's not what I mean, you hope, mean, but hopefully it's going on your toothbrush. Um, so you're not trying to put it back, but, but yes. You haven't been around my kids though. They, they just squeeze it out for fun. And it's like, put it back in and it, it doesn't go. Um, the thing I would add to this conversation as far as withdrawals is if you don't understand the tax implications, right? This could go bad for you. If you withdraw more than your basis, that means the amount of premiums that you've put into a policy, the gains above that, if you continue to withdraw them, become taxable. Okay. Now don't, you know, don't fret. This is all part of the infinite banking process. Nelson's taught us well from this. Um, there are ways around that. And that's why we, we can use loans in the future for that purpose above our basis. Um, but I think just not knowing that and that kind of being a surprise could be a big deal. Uh, the other thing I would say is uh, just from a personal story real quickly, Nelson used to share um, how he had his dividend election to withdraw uh, for about, I think it was four years or five years. I can't remember exactly. Um, late, late, late in his policy. This was probably 10 years before he passed. He started to have them send him a check every year for the dividend. And it was about $4,000 for these, for these checks. And after the fourth one, I think the insurance company sent him a, a note and they said, Hey, by the way, the next withdrawal that you make on, uh, on this, we're going to have to tax you because you exceed your basis. So just fill out this tax form so we can make sure to, to file that for you. And I remember Nelson said, oh, no, you will not. 
tax me on that. I am going to tell you to change my dividend election to buy paid up additions insurance and you will not tax me on those gains. And he just, I mean, I just remember seeing him just beam with pride that he was the one telling them what they were going to do, not the other way around. And uh, anyways, I just thought that was a fun story about withdrawals that uh, Nelson used to share with us all the time. Okay, let's move on to the next uh, question here. It, we talked about withdrawals going bad. How do loans go bad? Okay, Ernie, experience on that or what's your take on it? Well, it's a question that comes up is what happens if I don't repay my policy loan or what happens if I don't want to? And it was good questions. Makes me think of in, in the Becoming Your Own Banker book, Nelson talking about two rules. There's a debate, by the way. Uh, I, this keeps me up at night. How many rules there are for infinite banking? I'm in the party that says two. <laughs> for the record, don't be afraid to capitalize and don't make policy loans without provisions to pay them back. So it goes bad in the in the loan sense if if you if you break rule number two if you don't make provisions to pay them back, and just like we love the compounding interest in the growth of these policies, so does the compounding interest of unpaid loans working mm. the opposite way. They go against you. Yeah, that's right. good. The opposite way. Okay, Mark, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, following on you know er Ernie's thought is if. If, if, if you go and you, you, you take the loans and, and now you, maybe you've run out of the ability to pay your premium, right? So you, you, you've, you've come on dire times, you've borrowed out a whole bunch of, uh, uh, borrowed against a whole bunch of your, your policy and, and, and now all of a sudden you can't make your premium. So if you can't make your premium, one of the, the fallbacks is to, hey, could we, you know, borrow out you know, take out a loan as a stopgap measure to, to kind of hold us over so that we at least pay the base to keep our policy in force. Well, if you've run out of that safety net and now all of a sudden your policy lapses, if your loan total is in excess of what you've paid in, you've hit that taxable moment uh, because now it's as though you've created a vehicle that grew with tax-free growth and you borrowed out more of it and then just decided to walk away. Well, the government is not going to let you do that and they're going to come after you for those taxes. Good point. Yep. Along the same lines we were mentioning before about withdrawals going above your basis. Same, same scenario. JD, what do you add? Well, I feel like everybody read my notes. No. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not that bright. Uh, I, I think, um, when loans can go bad is a, a couple of things. One, when you think that you can spend your way into financial independence, right? And, and so in, instead of using your policy to purchase income producing assets, right? Or you're using it, you know, recklessly like a credit card that you have no intention of ever paying back. Like you can't just magically make money appear. You know what I mean? And so, so when you get really aggressive in, in taking policy loans and then like Ernie said, you have no um, basis of, of, of making repayments to that, right? Like that can get really bad. You know, compound interest works on both sides, right? right. It works on, on the, like Ernie said, it works on the benefit of, for your benefit. But again, if you don't service that loan, then that loan then continues to capitalize and compound and grow and grow and grow. Uh, and then I think also as if we get too aggressive in passive income time, 
Okay. What do you and, mean by and, that? Yeah. So in, in passive income time, we're now going to be using the policy cash values as a means to create income. Right. And, and if we start to, to, to take loans too large, right. And too quickly, um, then we could potentially get in a situation to where, like what Mark just said, now we end up having to surrender the policy or it, it surrenders itself and, and we could potentially have a, uh, a taxable event. Yeah, that's not a position you want to be in for sure. And I'm going to add to what you were mentioning about um, being too aggressive on borrowing from one policy and just kind of kicking the can down the road, like trying to spin your way into some magical, mystical, infinite banking you know, uh, deal here. The, what, what that's mentioned in the industry, they call it laddering. When I borrow from one policy to fund another policy with the intention that I'm kind of just trading money back and forth between policies, in no way, shape or form is that going to multiply your money, right? You're like, oh, well, this is the way I, and in fact, I'll be honest, there are some people who would sell IBC, the concept, and they would do it in this way, which in my, my mind is very irresponsible because it's, it's giving people some sort of unexpected uh, or, or an unnecessary hope that this is like some way out of whatever they're in and they just need to have more policies. When in reality, they're digging a huge hole and they have no way, if they have no way to repay that, no known windfall or any of the things we talk about on the show, then they are literally a time bomb. And we, we do not need to be uh, proponents of that. And in anyways, I just want to kind of stick a flag in the ground and say, stop hearing that nonsense and thinking that that's going to help you get ahead. Because unlike uh, our federal government, we'll continue to spend money and think that that is going to get us out of whatever uh, predicament we're in and it's just getting worse. So anyway, that's, I'm not going to get on that, that soapbox, but um, let, let's kind of wrap this up guys. I have one more question for you. How would you compare a bank withdrawal versus a life insurance withdrawal? Or are there differences? How, how do you think about that? Marie? For me, simple, maybe too simple death benefit. In what way? If you have cash in your checking or savings account and take a withdrawal, there's no death benefit gained or lost in that. Just like a net zero type of transaction here. In, in, that, in that specific time period, right. yes. If you take a withdrawal from your insurance policy, yeah, you're going to lose some death benefit. But that begs the question, well, how'd the death benefit get there in the first place? Exactly. Right. And, and Joey, I, I've shared, so by the way, I haven't told you this, I've shared this, uh, I'm meeting with uh, two different families right now and, and talking about um, their, their charitable givers. And, and I've heard you talk about on a previous podcast about how your brain was working. You saw that you're giving money to these organizations and how you could do that through one of these policies right. and, and how in the end there, there would be a death benefit that was created that could then go to the family or even to those organizations. And they're saying, I, I want to do that, which is really cool and hope that I can help them put that in place. But when I think about taking withdrawals from the insurance policy, I know that there's a death benefit on the other side as well. Good, good point. Mark, what's your thoughts? 
I was actually going down the road of when, when I make a deposit into a bank, is that an asset or a liability for them? Oh, it's a liability for them. Liability. So if I make a withdrawal from a bank, have I done them a solid? <laughs> you, you've put it back into your hands. I've actually put it back into my hands, but I've, I've, I've actually helped the bank because I've unencumbered them from that liability on their, on, on their bank statement. So again, a withdrawal. Yeah. It definitely puts it back in my hands. Um, and from, from a, from a banking perspective, I've actually helped them out with their balance sheet. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of helping out banks. So that's why I don't really put any money in there in the first place. <laughs> There you go. Except Jay. the bank of Haraguchi. Well, of course. I mean, <laughs> Haraguchi. That's right. What about, That's right. What about you, JD? Um, how would you compare a bank withdrawal versus life insurance withdrawal? I, I think that what the life insurance company particularly is that they, they never ask questions. Mm. Right. And what I mean by that is, is that a bank can put a limit on how much money I can actually withdraw at a time. And in fact, that actually happened to me. Okay. I was going to the bank um, to get some, some, some cash. And um, they said, we don't have that much cash right now. I'm like, I don't. And it wasn't a large amount of money at all. Like, it, it was like $5,000. Like it was not, I mean, it was a lot of money, but it wasn't hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. Yeah. And they said, we don't have that much money. I said, I don't, what do you, what do you think you mean by you don't have that much money? <laughs> and they said, well, we're, we're, we're getting ready for these, um, these, these, uh, COVID checks. I was like, these, I don't understand how these STEMI checks are going to like break the bank where you can't give me, you know, this cash. And, and so it, 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 it's this aha moment. Like if I needed $5,000 from the insurance company, they don't ask questions. They just give me the money. Like there's no bureaucrat standing between me and my money with the life insurance company versus the bank. It's the weirdest thing. It's my money, but I still have to like answer questions as to why I need it, how much I need it. When do I need it by like those types of dynamics? Again, it just, it releases or relinquishes you from having control over your personal economy. And it allows somebody else to have that control. Oh, these are, these are great guys. I have nothing to add to this, unfortunately, but hopefully today what you've gained from this is just a framework to, in some cases, retrain your brain a little bit mm. about how you see money, where it's residing. The warehouse in which your money is residing has different aspects and how you think about that will determine what you do. And so, again, we're not here to tell you what to do but to help you to retrain your thinking so that you will know what steps to take. Um, next week, we are going to be uh, having another fantastic topic, which I did not write down. So we look forward to you joining us next week <laughs> as we uncover that. But um, guys, any parting thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I think, I think we should have another conversation about what JD was talking about. Just my brain exploded about just accessing cash from, from banks. Mm. That's a, what a great topic. No doubt. Mark, JD, last thoughts. Thank, thank you, Ernie. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. My brother actually had that, had that exact same thing happen to him at the bank. He went in and he actually, his, his wasn't a, a dollar value. It was a frequency. They said, mm. oh, you've made too many withdrawals. <laughs> he said, did I take out more money than was there? No, but you've made too many withdrawals in the wow. mouth. So you're mm. going to have to wait. Wow. 
Well, guys, thanks again for joining me on this roundtable. Russ, we missed you this week, but we'll see you next week. And if you will come back, we'd love to share again around the roundtable with you. See you next week. So now we're going into the inner circle. Absolutely. How do we, how do we invite our listener there? Oh, see, Ernie, thank you for, for sharing this. You need to come to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash inner circle. We're going to be actually uncovering three different types of income within your policy and how that's possible, uh, different ways that you can make the decisions with that uh, based on what we talked about today. So join us, wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash inner circle, and we'll catch you next week. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.